Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland postseason edition. It's the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. Uh, and the Cubs, of course, are in the postseason this year. The modified, expanded, bizarre postseason. I was thinking Sahadev. I'm joined by Sahadev Sharma, of course. Uh, Patrick Mooney is, is doing the postseason thing, so he is not with us today. But uh, I was thinking about how to frame you know, what this postseason is. And I feel like it's something between the last time we saw the Cubs in the postseason, which was just a single solitary wildcard game that they lost in extra innings and a full, you know, NLDS, you know, five game series that uh, they got the year before. That was a great series, by the way. That was the Nationals. Series. Oh, yeah. That was, that, that was a really good one. Uh, whereas this, you know, it's a sort of a three game intro series. So you might only see two games and you might be done after that. But even if you win it, then you got to do the NLDS. So I don't know how to like my 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 hype factor is miscalibrated for like this is the postseason kind of ish. Yeah, I I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I don't know. The weather has turned. So it feels like October. The I, you know, it's you, you got to win these games. There's the must win factor in a sense, like, you know, every pitch, every game is going to feel kind of intense in that sense. I, I part of me looks at it as, yes, there's eight teams in le- in each league that are in. It was a 60 game season. Uh, You know, it, it feels a little bit watered down in a sense, but. Now it's here. Now it's postseason, and I and I just kind of feel like, uh, you know, I I'm feeling that that buzz of it, and and that intensity, and the and as far as a you know, as far as a beat writer needing to get my work done, and, and feeling like, yeah, I, I want to make sure I provide the best stuff for the readers, and, and like this is when I need to really step it up and make sure I have something a little bit extra, uh, for you for everyone. So, uh, I I. I like that part of it. I always love covering the postseason. You bring up that Washington series and uh, I guess that aspect of like uh, us as far as covering the games being up late and then like I don't know if I'm going to L.A. tomorrow or not. Am I going back home or am I going to L.A.? Like what's going on? And like the twists and turns of the game, you're up till 5 a.m. writing a story and then the your flight is at 8 a.m. and you're flying across the country. I'll never forget that. That that Washington series was amazing and just the complete exhaustion and exhilaration. That combination that you feel while covering playoff baseball is 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 I I kind of enjoy it. I get I get a thrill out of it, even though like during it you're like, oh my god, all I want to do is sleep for 12 hours straight. But uh, you know you don't have exactly that for us uh, for for the beat writer right now. But you do have uh, I, I do feel I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we had a few zooms today, and and Rossi said he was kind of hyped for it. Uh, Bodie said it felt like Christmas morning. He, he almost felt like he had to remind himself there's no game today. It's tomorrow. I gotta kind of calm myself down because uh, I, I think these guys are getting kind of hyped for for playoff baseball. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I my intention is not to denigrate any of the um, hype anyone is feeling for this series. And certainly for the Marlins, it's their first postseason appearance in 17 years. I'm sure that there's excitement there, in particular what they dealt with with their outbreak. Um, I just I feel like I need the Cubs to get past this series for me to feel like it's like okay, they did the playoffs this year, you know. Like, I, I, it's hard to articulate. I know, but I feel I, like if they 
you're you're talking about just basically the same thing as 2018, right? That didn't feel like they yeah, were really I get, in the playoffs. But, I, but you know what? But I, but I've been one of those people that like I take a crap on people when they're like, "Well, the Cubs didn't make the playoffs in 2018." I'm like, <laughs> they were in the wild card game. That counts. So yeah. it's not that. Like I'll say it counts. It's more about like the what I want to feel. Okay. From the experience, sure. I guess. Like, if no, they lose I the series, that. I'm going to be like, they were not really in the playoffs. That's, <laughs> I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I, I can... I can feel that. I can get that. Uh, the the need for them to advance to really feel like, okay, this was a real playoff moment for them. They got their chance. They may not have won at all, but they they actually did something with it. And it, this, is a, this is the first... This is almost like the dry run, right? Like you, you need them yeah, to get yeah, through yeah, yeah. to really feel like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, this postseason meant something, or this season meant something for the Cubs. I, I, I can get that. Uh, and the, you know, I, I, I would just simply say that not advancing is a disappointment, right? It, it should be a pretty. I, I don't want to go overboard or be too hyperbolic but i think it would be a significant disappointment if they don't advance past the marlins it, it should it's not uh it's not like some huge advantage i, I think uh, people underrate the marlins but i also think that they're the better the more talented team and they have some advantages that they should be able to take uh capitalize on uh hopefully you would think uh and you know whether it's uh you know uh, those the 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 intangible uh, advantages that they have, or just the on paper advantages that you know. I think the Marlins aren't throwing a lefty out there. The Marlins are a little banged up. The Marlins' offense is is uh, below average, and not that the Cubs' offense has been clicking in any ways. Uh, you know, maybe this last weekend is a, is reason for optimism, but uh, we all know that we've talked we've beat that horse uh, pretty pretty brutally i'd say as far as the offense goes so we know how much this offense uh, struggles uh at times but also they have kyle hendricks and you darvish going in games one and two against a below average offense they should be able to scratch across a couple runs against alcantara and uh who is it pablo lopez going game two or have the marlins not uh i don't think they've announced, announced it's either him or Sixto, but they haven't okay. they haven't said yet okay so, so my point is, yeah, like uh, we, we know all the flaws of this Cubs team, but they should win this series. And I totally understand where you're coming from feeling like uh, beyond if there's nothing beyond this, uh, there's like a, almost like an empty feeling that uh, did this even happen? <laughs> yeah, I would say the one more broad point about that that I'll make, then we can zero in on the series itself a little bit more, is that you, you also have the context of this being the this group having another chance to make a run and we weren't sure that they were going to get another chance to make a run and so i think that to lose out in this series would feel a little more hollow because of that you know i don't know I, I i won't go too far down that road because the pandemic has made it such that i think they're probably just gonna have to run it back again next year anyway so it's probably but they might not make the playoffs next year so anyway Let's zero in a little bit on this series. You started to touch on it a bit. Um, you know, I think that just about every way you look at this, the advantages are to the Cubs. And um, of course, the nature of baseball is such that even in the most advantageous single game, 
uh, where you've got super stud starter for one team and just the number five, terrible number five on the other side and perfect lineup balance and imbalance on the other side. You're still only looking at what, like maybe 65, 35 as the split for, for who's going to win that day. Um, so in a three game series that gets exacerbated. And of course the difference between the Cubs and the Marlins isn't that strong. So we hold this reality in our minds that even if the Cubs are the better team and they outplay the Marlins, got a cat hollering in the background. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like this point that I'm making. I'm going to have to kick him out of the, the, you a Marlins fan? You shithead. All right. Hang on just a second. I love that cat. He just, he knew we were at without Mooney and he's like, I can be the third Marlins Marlins. Uh, so uh, anyway, as I was saying, uh, we hold the two things in our mind at once, which is that the Cubs can uh, not only be better on paper, they could actually outplay the Marlins and still lose this series. That's sure. just the nature of baseball. Um, but I do like that it seems like they've got the better of the two front starting pitchers. Uh, they are strongly advantaged in the fact that they have two righties going first against a Marlins team that isn't very good against righties. And they are facing two righties when they themselves are a team that struggles deeply against lefties. Yeah, no, they, you're you're right. Uh, they they have every advantage here. And, and you know, I, I think this weekend does help them in the sense that they needed good offensive uh, performance. Uh, to kind of get them in the right mindset. And Chris Bryant hit well. Uh, you know, I, I think I would have liked to have seen uh, a couple more hits from Bryant to really say, like, he's back. Like, I wanted to see, like, two more doubles in the gap over the course of the weekend, along with the two long homers and uh, a kind of a seeing-eye single almost uh, where he kind of fought off a pitch. Uh, I think that was it, right? And there was maybe a walk mixed Took a in walk. there. Took a walk, yeah. yeah. I, w- I wanted like one or two more gappers, you know, just to like, okay, there it is. He's slugging the ball. I, I didn't see a ton. More. Maybe there was one that he struck well that went kind of deep to center, left, right center field. But other than that, I, I want to see him locked in and just like, okay, Chris Bryan is taking over games with his offense. Maybe that happens against the Marlins. Maybe it just never happens this year at all. Uh, but, but him, I, I think Javi had some better at bats. There were some at bats where Javi hit the ball hard. You know what? Now that I think about it, there was another one that Brian hit hard up the middle off the pitcher. I believe that was oh, him. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that was a borderline error there. So, so I'd, I'd give him some like, okay, he's hitting the ball hard credit. Uh, but the, similar to Javi, Javi hit some balls hard. Uh, I loved the Homer that he hit off cease because that was just, I mean, it, it, it cracked me up because I, I think I said that you weren't on the last podcast, Brett, but I was frustrated with uh, with the love that Cease has been getting this year. His peripherals are basically the sa- worse than or the same as Giolito's were during that dreadful season where he was arguably the worst pitcher in baseball. Uh, uh, Dylan Cease had so much luck, and, and it finally came crumbling on Friday. And uh, I'm not saying he's a bad pitcher. I'm saying he needs to make adjustments to become uh, a really good pitcher because he – I mean – he threw that breaking ball and Javi was sitting heater and <laughs> swung as hard as he could. And then he threw that fastball and I was like, don't throw him a fastball right now because Javi is waiting for one. <laughs> and he threw it and Javi just did exactly what he's supposed to do, which I love. And I think that my point is uh, not to uh, criticize Cease as much as Javi did what he's supposed to be doing. And and I and I think uh, 
a lot of what we've seen this season hasn't just been him out of sync, but him not doing what he's supposed to be doing. It's not like he hasn't been getting those pitches and swing and not swinging at them. He's just been fouling those back or the, or hitting them on the ground or hitting them at a defender. And that time he launched it, you know, uh, 450 feet. And, and I think we need to see more of that. And I think that's the key, not only uh, to this Marlins series, but any deep run that this team is having is going to be riding this offense and riding their stars. I really think uh, Hendricks is locked in. Darvish is may not be at his very where he was at his very peak, but he's not off. He's not. He's not like. Uh, he's not looking. You know, like he's searching for it. Uh, and he's got so many pitches that if something is slightly off, I think he can. He's confident enough now that he can go to another one. I've, 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 I've been doing some uh, getting some anecdotes on him for a piece I'm working on. And, and I got to tell you, the guy's a freak of nature. And I know we've talked about this before, but I just love some of the stories I hear about. Basically, he'll come in and be like, yeah, I, I was talking to Kenta Maeda yesterday and, and he grips his this pitch like this. So I'm going to try that today. It's like <laughs> the day, like hours before a start and he just does it. And And part of what makes him brilliant, not only is that he does that. But the Cubs are allowing him to. That that used to be something that was stifled in the past. Like, ah, let's not experiment too much. But it's not that he's experimenting. It's that he just knows how to do this. He's He's got that well, ability. Did you catch? It was like two starts ago, maybe. No, three, maybe. And he only did it for the one start. But do you remember when he first came over, he, was, he started experimenting with that hesitation in his yeah. delivery? Yeah. Well, like three starts ago, yeah. he just did it. He just did it for a start. I, <laughs> and it was I like... Saw- I was watching it's that. Like, I'm like, why, have I missed this? What? Yeah, no. <laughs> it, it's this? funny. Yeah, he just he just did it for a yeah. start because it's just to kind of see see what's up, and then he <laughs> didn't, and it was fine. But then he didn't do it again. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It is. Um, yeah, he is. He's truly remarkable in that regard. Um, I think we, you know, uh, what was he say? You know, he had a start. Uh, uh, not necessarily that same one, but he was, you know, talking about how he didn't have this pitch and didn't have that pitch. And that's, that's truly when you appreciate why it isn't just a gimmick that he's got 11 playable pitches because he's a guy who, you know, one of he's just not feeling his four seamer on a given day. It's like, well, I'll just, you know, change up to this. And, um, not many pitchers can do that on the fly. If Kyle Hendricks doesn't have his sinker or his change up on a given day, he's in trouble. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, a couple things that I want to get your thoughts on Sahadev, uh, especially with respect to the bullpen, because I think you've done an excellent job this year tracking both the overall composition, the evolution of certain pitchers and kind of the, I don't know, the way we think of the circle of trust guys. And I know you've been on this. Uh, I've noticed it too. For a long time, Ryan Tapera had emerged as um, the bridge guy. He kind of was the, you come into the little bit of the mess in the fifth or sixth or seventh, clear it up, move on to the back end guys. Um, he hasn't actually been successful in a long time. Uh, his He looked so great early on. Wasn't just getting great results. He looked so good. Uh, and he just hasn't since then. And, and he hasn't been moved off of that role and so what I'm wondering is when you have a situation like that and then you head into the postseason, um, do you go to someone else entirely because you're like, eh, it hasn't been working for like a month, even though we can talk for in a minute who that guy might be, but or do you stick with a guy because that's kind of how the role has been? Um, I mean, I don't know what you do. There wasn't a lot of time this season to reevaluate those kinds of roles. And so... Um, 
I wonder if the what looked like it was setting up to be a move to Craig Kimbrell going back into the ninth inning. There were a couple outings where it seemed like that was being set up. Um, I'm wondering if that was in part a nod to a guy that you like to have in there to clean up that, that those transitional innings when it's a mess is Jeremy Jeffress. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, as you were talking and discussing, you know, who basically I started thinking, well, who goes into that? I think you're right. I think that's the guy. If you have to make a change, that's the guy you switch to. It would be Jeffress and Kimbrell takes the ninth. You have some other guys emerging uh, that you could trust in those whatever the filler innings, however many innings it would be in between. Uh, including Jason Adam. I think Edward Alzali is a huge factor right now, whether it's uh, making it, you know, uh, game three of this series and Lester can only go one or two times through the order or Ross doesn't like it after one time through the order, uh, go to go to Alzali for four or five innings. Or he can be a guy that you go to for two innings over the course of, you know, two games in a five game set or something like that, right? You, you get four innings out of him, uh, five innings out of him in a shorter series, if possible. I think uh, after that, uh, honestly, I'm a, I'm a little skeptical about uh, how everything looks uh, with the with the bullpen right now. I, I don't know who else uh, you go to, who else you absolutely trust. Uh, Winkler started to look better towards the end of the season. This is uh, it, it's something I was thinking about uh, midway through the season. Like, oh, this guy looks good, and I and I remember, was it 2017 or 18? I can't remember what season it was. Uh, but one of their best relievers in the first half, if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't it Koji uh, Uhara? And we didn't yeah. see him the entire second half. That's right. He was. Yeah, that's right. He like completely disappeared for very long stretches. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> You, like this happens with relievers. I mean, think through 2015 when Jason Mott was like an essential piece and he was just he was doing it with smoke and mirrors. I don't think he pitched much uh, in the postseason. Right. Was he even healthy? Was he even there in 2015 well, in the postseason? I got to I got to make the obvious point, which for a lot of these seasons, the Cubs bullpen, the, the way it has worked is they would spend the first month sorting things out. Uh, the rolls would click, some pitchers would click. They'd have like three or four really, really good months. And then in September, all these questions would erupt, even among the guys that were doing great. Hector Rondon, Pedro Strope. It was like, uh uh-oh, I don't know if this is working. Things are kind of deteriorating. And so, um, in a, it's, it's been funny to me that even in a shortened season, it kind of feels like it, it, uh, in a condensed version did the same thing that they figured out guys for roles in the, in the juicy middle of the season. And then, you know, I got to tell you, it isn't just to pair to be honest, the last like few outings for a lot of these guys, other than Kimbrel and Jeffress have left me being like, dang, I wish they looked better. Other than Winkler too. Like you said, it was look as but like Dwayne Underwood so, had some chances to. I think like, Underwood, you kind trusted. of have to say he's not going to get a chance in the postseason. Not a big lever, not a high leverage moment. Uh, I didn't like Jason Adams last outing, he, but he was wild. Yeah, yeah. But I do wonder, like, when it's a pure command thing, like this is a guy that needs to get kind of locked in over a session. I, I, 
I'd like to look over uh, how long it had been since he pitched. I didn't I didn't double check that. I think we're ignoring uh, and this is not I shouldn't say we I have ignored uh, Chafin as well. And I I understand he gave up that home run uh, against the Pirates. Uh, you know, I, I think I think that it was, was a good I, it was a good pitch. actually. Yeah, like it, I, was, it was a solid pitch up and in like that was a good piece of hitting by Jacob Stallings. I've liked the way he's looked, and I've talked to so many people about him uh, over the years because the Cubs were interested in him at least last off last trade deadline, maybe maybe the one before that too. Uh, I just know I've had a lot of discussions about Andrew Chapin over the years, and he is a guy that if he's not walking, guys, don't get don't worry about him too much. He's a high leverage reliever for you then, because as long as he's not in a zone where it's like, uh oh. Why are we going from 0-2 count to 3-2 count all of a sudden? What He can't get any – he can't retire a guy. He can't put away a guy. Like, what's going on? If he's not doing that, don't worry about him. He's he's locked in, and he's going to do his job for you for the most part. Yeah, he gave up that home run, but I don't think he's given up much else. I think he's given up maybe one other hit. Uh, well, and he's got – he has, and, like you said, nice long track record of basically when he's been healthy, he's just been good. And he's yeah. sort of like one of these quietly – you know, I think a lot of Cubs fans were getting their first exposure to him when they traded for him, and it's like, oh – He's actually been quite good for a long time. You know who I'm going to shout out for the bullpen? Who's a guy who I hope gets uh, some important innings because I trust him as much as anybody else out there is Jose Quintana. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's and it's not just that he has all that experience and what have you, but like he looked again, he looks like a quality reliever. Like that's what he looked 94? like. 94. 94. When was 94. the last time he had 94? I, I wanted, like, Ross pointed it out, and I had to go, I'm like, yeah, Ross is making stuff up. And I went and double-checked on Sackgast, and he was right. Uh, yeah, he, he was, was sitting 93 and touched 94 twice. Yeah. Um, and his curveball, he shapes it two different ways for different counts. He doesn't have to really even use the changeup if he's not feeling it at all. Doesn't have to use the sinker if he's not feeling it at all. Um, and it was clear to me um, you know, he's he's not going out there and throwing 93-94 unless he is being considered for a uh a, a to be a weapon in the bullpen in the postseason. And so it was it was clear to me that that was kind of the message to him is like, hey, let's see what you could do if you were really going after it like a reliever. Um and I, I mean I I I just don't think it's crazy at all that we could see him in some of those sixth, seventh, eighth innings, and I would be totally good with that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's funny, like we went from uh, wh- who's going to be the lefty to now they have two guys that we kind of trust in a way in Quintana and uh, and Chapin, and then you know Marquez is still a wild card. I know we uh, we haven't touched on him. I-, I I'm curious what they if they Brett. I can, <laughs> if you guys don't know, but we're we're on a Zoom and I can see Brett and Brett's shaking his head. I I wouldn't. <sighs> Uh, yeah, I guess it's. it's I love it's him for really the future. Hard to I, do it. I love him for the future. I just it's it's near impossible to do it for the postseason after that outing, I, which makes me feel like maybe all the screaming and yelling that uh, was going on on Twitter had a, had a valid point, and he probably just should have been added on Monday instead. No, of, uh, Sunday. Uh, no, I'm gonna jump no, in because I was. No? All right. Yeah, I was on the other side of that. I thought the. 
So, I mean, I love when prospects come up, of course. And I love the idea of having a 100-mile-per-hour lefty weapon come in. And I, I heard the good stuff from South Bend. But it struck me all along. And you'd heard this from people, too, because you wrote about it. If in a year like this, especially when he had to go on the 40-man roster anyway after the season, if he was looking at all to the evaluators like he could contribute, he would have been up. And so the reason he wasn't up is because they already knew what we saw in this one outing, which is that he's just not ready. And coming up for like two weeks when the Cubs were still in a race uh, wasn't going to just magically make him ready. Uh, in fact, it could have made things a lot worse, especially because, as we just saw, he got the lowest of low leverage innings you can get, and it turned into five runs. Now imagine that if the Cubs are still in the race and he does that two weeks ago. I mean, that's not great for him. It's not good for the Cubs. It's not good for anybody. And so I see how this situation played out as they realized, look, we got to add him to the 40 man anyway. We got a free game. We've already clinched. It doesn't matter. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. I think that's all it was, but I think they knew that he, his, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm ripping on the kid because he's a, a, just a dynamite prospect with an incredible future, but I, you know, he looked like a, a kid that you'd grab out of high A and bring him up because he just could, his release point was all completely inconsistent from pitch to pitch. And, um, yeah, it was if the reason I was shaking my head when you were saying, and I know you weren't saying like put him in the playoff bullpen is I just, he just looked so extremely not ready, not even close to ready. So I, I've talked to a few people about this and uh, I, I don't have a good feel of whether they, uh, that even consider this bringing him in. But I will say that the reason I wonder if just, if he could have gotten two outings, like if he could have, but the the major problem is they needed to clinch the division, right? So you can't mess with it too much. I think that was their biggest issue. If they would have just won uh, three of four in Pittsburgh, uh, maybe you could have gotten him in on Friday and Sunday. And I think a lot of what happened on Sunday for him was first game jitters and trying to rush through his delivery. And they really did have him locked in and, and ready to go. And I think... Uh, Theo kind of laid it out as to uh, the whole process with that of how we had to get him to where he needs to be. And, and just really, it was, it was a process. He came in, uh, he wasn't in the best of shape because he just didn't have the ability to work out the way he normally does during the shutdown. Uh, His mechanics were slightly off and, and they, not only was it, uh, you know, he's a technically a high A pitcher that you need to continue to hone the mechanics, but they were also off in general, right? Like, uh, like anybody gets out of whack at times, uh, in an off season or during the season. Uh, so there was a, it was a process to get him to a point where he was ready to pitch, uh, in the major leagues. I just wonder if, if he would have had a first game to get those jitters out, get those five, you know, whatever, four, three walks and, and, you know, two wild pitches out of his system and be like, okay, I got my debut out of the way. Okay. Calm myself down. Here's my second opportunity and go out there and, and just be who he is. I wonder what he would have done. Uh, unfortunately, I, I mean, I agree with you. You can't, you can't take that risk when you're still trying to clinch the division uh, mentally, it could have screwed him up in some way. Maybe uh, you don't want to you don't want to 
there there are a lot of little things that I I totally agree with you on that they, they couldn't have taken that risk. It didn't lie. Ultimately, it didn't line up for them is what I'm saying uh, for them to pull this off. But I w- do wonder if they could have pulled it off, if they would have clinched a little earlier, if they could have done this, if it would if we would be having a different discussion about him. Ultimately, I, I just don't know how how Ross can have the confidence uh, in him, you're going to need more pitchers in the second round if uh, if they make it that far. I don't know if it's a risk they're willing to take. Uh, I guess we'll see. I'd be a little bit surprised if it, if they're going to take that risk, uh, but I guess it's it's certainly possible if he's if you're making a decision on the last guy in the bullpen and and either one is like kind of like yeah, well I don't feel great using him. Uh, and, and that it's a guy that struggled versus, you know, this guy had the first game jitters. Maybe he can lock it in and he's been looking great in bullpens. He's the last guy in the bullpen. Sure. Go for it. Um, I, I guess we'll see. I don't know if, if that's a, if that's a valid way to do things. If, if I'm making a compelling enough argument for him to even get a playoff roster spot, I, I'd be shocked if he's on this first round, uh, roster but uh weirder things have happened i guess yeah i just have a hard time imagining the game situation where he gets and you know put in i think you'd almost have to, it'd have to be i mean you just have to i don't know i i, yeah. I like i said i have no, trouble imagining this yeah and um but but you're right too that in the the later series you never know there's no off days so you're gonna need a robust pen and it's not inconceivable injury here, injury there guys ineffective. They know something behind the scenes on someone else. I mean, it's not impossible. He was included in the playoff pool for a reason. Um, that's not, that isn't just like a, a hat tip to a prospect. I mean, they're, they're doing that because there is a chance that they might have to rely on him. So uh, we'll leave that there. I think, um, yeah, I, I definitely think, It'll be interesting to see what happens with the bullpen in game games one and two, knowing that if there is a game three, you may be even more reliant on having to have uh, arms available. And I, I always find that whole conversation in postseason series fascinating. The whole thing about like, well, you don't you don't get a game three if you don't win today, and like how you know how aggressive do you do in this one? And I, I mean, I just I find that stuff fascinating, and I. Uh, obviously as a Cubs fan, I hope we don't even uh, cross that bridge for game three, but um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Look, I I, we're this is going to be, this is a healthy, healthy length podcast, but I did want to get, I don't know, maybe I just want to make the point because I want to bloviate, but I'll, I'll frame it as like, (laughs) I want to get your thoughts when, you know, when we were talking about the Marlins anticipated starters, uh, obviously it'd be three righties, three young, hard throwing righties with very traditional splits. Um, one thing I'm thinking about with respect specifically to Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez, your, your three righties that will play in every game, regardless. Um, the, the Marlins righties, not only do they have traditional splits, but they are extreme ground ball guys. I mean, they are really, really good at getting ground balls from righties. And so I'm wondering, do you, if you're David Ross and you know that, and you know that, that like Alcantara against righties this year, and and even going back to last year, he basically turns even good righties into just terrible hitters. Statistically, they're terrible. 
So at what point do you factor that into your lineup with some of these regular righties? Or do you even get bold enough and say, you know what, Wilson, we love you. You're a great hitter overall, but you put the ball on the ground a lot. This is a righty who abuses righty hitters on the ground. It's just not a good matchup. We're going to, you know, we're going to go nuts and, and let Billy Hamilton take a start and take the advantage in the field. Look, I know you're chuckling and I, I am sort of, I'm chuckling too a little bit as I say it, but here's the math on it. I mean, if you believe that Contreras, for example, uh, against a pitcher like Alcantara effectively makes Wilson a worse hitter than a Billy Hamilton type. Well, then what you're getting is you're getting Ian Happ in left instead of Kyle Schwarber. You're getting Billy Hamilton in center instead of Ian Happ. And you're getting a bat that might be about equal. So it's kind of like, like teams just don't do this in the postseason. But like when you run through the math of it and how it actually upgrades your team, I don't know. I'm just saying I, I kind of wish there would be more thought given to that, given how with Alcantara, at least how extreme it is that he's just so hard on righties. And, and, and the righties we're talking about, other than Contreras, have deeply struggled this year. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously getting getting more lefties in the lineup would be ideal. I, I'd just be absolutely shocked if it's at the expense of a guy like Wilson Contreras or Chris Bryant uh, or Javier Baez. It, I get what you're saying, and especially with you could put, I mean, who's Wilson's caught, uh, well, they've done both, right? Vic's caught uh, Hendricks a couple times too, right? So I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. I would just... Oh, it won't actually happen. I mean, Let me it, be clear. It, it, will, yeah. it will not actually happen. This it, is more just no, like I the mean, well, you certainly aren't doing... You certainly aren't starting Billy Hamilton, right? You just can't do that. They're, hey, they're 1-0 when they start Billy <laughs> Hamilton. I'm just saying. <laughs> and he homered. Uh, and, I mean, he stole home, hit a home run. Come on. Yeah. I, I, get, your, I get what your point is. I guess uh, you lose that game... <laughs> You're crucified, right? Uh, nobody's gonna say like, "Well, he should have sat Javi Wilson and and uh, and Bryant." That's that's what would have uh, won him the game. It, I, and I guess you shouldn't be managing uh, based on on whether someone will criticize you or not, right? That that's a terrible way to manage as well. So so my whatever what I'm saying right there shouldn't uh, shouldn't really weigh into his decision making, but I do. It's an interesting concept that I, I just can't see uh, him being able to execute in a manner that doesn't leave you scratching your head saying, like, really, you're leaving Wilson Contreras on the bench in the first game of a playoff? Uh, that's that's interesting. That's a uh, interesting way to go about things, you know? That's right. I'll just do a little T-Frog situation if and when Wilson grounds into a double play. <laughs> uh, and he, by contrast... When he homers, he will uh, flip his bat so high and so directional yeah. that it will land and uh, hit me in the head. And he'll be like, I, I do want to say one thing. I, I didn't tweet this because I, I don't know why. I think I got distracted, but I, I liked uh, Victor Caratini's at bats have looked really good lately. He's yes. a guy that has he's been putting it on the ground a ton uh for a lot of the season, I was like, oh, what's wrong with Victor? He's, I don't know how long it had lasted, but all of a sudden over the weekend, I was like, I feel like Vic's in a little bit of a groove. He's not getting hits every single time out there, but the ball's in the air a lot more, and I love seeing that from him. That means things, good things are happening. His swing's in the right spot. So just something to, I mean, certainly he'll be in their game too. 
so we'll see if this carries over. Uh, one other factor that needs to be brought up is the weather here in Chicago. Uh, I think we've forgotten uh, kind of, well, there was a homestand where it was typical October or late, uh, you know, early April type uh, weather in Chicago. Uh, but it, it's kind of hitting us now. It's going to be overcast. It's going to be mid fifties. I don't know what it's going to be like by the lake over there on the north side of Chicago, but uh, that's a factor. That's a, the, I'm not sure if uh, the Cubs slug over the weekend is going to, uh, it, it, we'll see. Usually when it's this type of weather, it's not blowing out. That's just the way it typically is. So we'll, we'll see how it is. Uh, I think that's a factor that we have to consider. Yeah, and at least for the Cubs, um, could be the one little benefit of having home field advantage, even without fans, is that Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish and John Lester are very used to pitching at Wrigley Field uh, when the situation's like that, and it, it might it, it could it could serve to their benefit. Uh, all right, we're gonna leave it there, and we're going to tell you folks that we will be back at you later this week when it's entirely possible the Cubs season will be wrapped up, and I will be. Um, haranguing David Ross for not starting Billy Hamilton because clearly he would have saved the season or we may even be celebrating that we get uh, to get into another series of discussions next week uh, with an NLDS appearance. Uh, But until then, make sure you are uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing, make sure you're reading Sahadev's and Patrick's stuff at the athletic. I believe Patrick is working on something right now as we speak that you will want to be checking out very soon. And uh, yeah, so this is on to Waveland. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation and we will be back at you uh, to celebrate or castigate the Cubs. Much love. Bye. Bye.